All right, welcome everybody to another edition of Legal Tech Week for uh, October 21st, 2022. This is the weekly program where we talk about the top stories in legal tech and innovation. I'm Bob Ambrogi. I uh, moderate this. I also have a blog called Law Sites and a podcast called Law Next and even a legal tech directory called Law Next also. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we have a special guest panelist with us today, but before I introduce him, uh, let's go around with our usual panelists uh, and uh, introduce yourselves. So, uh, Joe, you want to kick us off? Yeah, I'll, I'll kick off the boring panelists. Uh, I'm Joe. <laughs> uh, I'm from. Uh, I did not say that. <laughs> we all know what you meant. Uh, from uh, Above the Law and Thinking Like a Lawyer. Uh, and uh, yeah, happy to be here as always. All right, Nikki. My name is Nikki Black. I am the um, Senior Director of SME and External Education at MyCase, and um, I write legal technology columns for the uh, Daily Record, Above the Law, ABA Journal, and sometimes other outlets, and I also write some reports on the MyCase side of things. It's disconcerting that you changed your title, because I'm still not used to it. I know. Is this I'm the so same learning. Nikki Black? I don't know. <laughs> Newer and better. No, it's the same. Newer, better. <laughs> same old boring Nikki Black. So, <laughs> and uh, Steve. Hi, Steve Embry. I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads and do various and other sundry things. I am uh, actually at a ABA law practice meeting in San Francisco, and hence the strange background and lights reflecting off my glasses that I can't seem to figure out how to stop. So I'll just have to look like I have a piercing glare. <laughs> looks good. Looks like a nice hotel room. It is. Yes. Very nice. <laughs> and uh, Stephanie. Hi, I'm Stephanie Wilkins, editor in chief of Legal Tech News at ALM. And I guess one of the new regular panelists. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I sort of twisted your arm into it, right? I just started inviting you as a regular rather than ever actually asking you, but uh, you can always say no, so. I'll join when I can, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, uh, I'm just happy that we now have a Stephanie and a Steven. So I, know. I think Stephanie, you and I are now a, a, a voting block. <laughs> and we have glasses. We got Nikki on our side with the glasses too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've got glasses. Um, and, uh, one who is not wearing glasses today, but a special guest uh, panelist today. Very happy to be joined by my former colleague at ALM way back in the day, uh, David Oregon. David, why don't you say hello and tell us a little bit about who you are. Thanks very much, Bob. Great to be back with you. Yeah, more years than we care to remember. It's been about 20 years or so. I was a reporter That's for the National Law Journal when uh, our leader here, Mr. Ambrogi, was the editor-in-chief. Um, I am now the um, Discovery Council and Legal Education Director at Relativity, and I uh, run Relativity CLE programs, and uh, we're getting ready for our biggest one of the year, along with um, ALM's Legal Week and ILTACON, um, and uh, we have um, some people here on the broadcast who are going to be joining us for it, so uh, really pleased to get uh, to go back and be a journalist today and join the uh, Legal Tech Week and uh, talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing at Relativity Fest next week. Yeah, and and so what so what you're saying is you were a legitimate journalist before you went over to the dark side and sold out for the big bucks, but that's that okay. would be it's it. Yes, Bob. Yeah. Exactly. Those student loans had to be paid at some <laughs> point. 
That's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Joe, Stephanie, and I, I think that's it, right, are all going to be at Relativity Fest next week. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's my first, it's actually my first time. I've somehow never been there. Well, I know how I've never been there because I've always had scheduling conflicts, right? Uh, despite David trying to get me to go there for years now. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I too will, but, I yeah. too will be there, Bob. Are you oh. going to see <laughs> Yep, I'm going well, to. That's great. I did not know that. I, yes. yes. Excellent. Yeah, that was awesome. Big. David, you guys are kind enough to invite me, so I will be there. I'm glad to, to hear that. That's great. <laughs> well, you can maybe you can join because uh, Joe and I were just talking before we started recording that we're gonna we're gonna double team on some of the interviews, like we've talked about doing at some of the other conferences. So uh, if you want to join in on uh, with us and Absolutely. some of the interviews we'll be doing there, maybe we can uh, kill uh, kill a bunch of birds with one stone, or however that works. But uh, anyway, so I, before we kind of talk about our regular stories and stuff this week, I thought David and I know, and David has to jump off in a few minutes because he's actually in the middle of a conference where he has to go jump on stage and do something and he's going to come back uh, after he does that. Uh, and uh, But before you do that, maybe you could just kind of give us a little bit of a, a preview from your perspective of, of what's, what's happening at Relativity Fest next week. Sure, that's great. It's going to be next Wednesday through Friday, October 26th through 28th. And uh, it's different for us. First of all, uh, we've been virtual for two years. We are now a hybrid conference. You can enjoy the experience that is Relativity Fest from the comfort of your home or office or live in Chicago. And we're all really excited about uh, being back in Chicago. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about one of my favorite panels. It's the eDiscovery State of the Union. And uh, two of the regular panelists here will be on it. Bob, of course, will be on it. And Stephanie is going to be on it as well. And we're going to have some fun. Just about everyone in there is a lawyer, um, practicing or otherwise. Um, Judge Jay Francis, um, James Francis IV, the retired jurist from the Southern District of New York. I believe that was um, Counselor Patrice's home court when he was practicing back in the day. Um, judge Francis will be with us. He will be our judge for the program. We're going to have two sides, the lawyers um, and the journalists. Now, two of the three journalists are also lawyers, Stephanie and Bob, but they're going to be joined by Zach Warren, who, of course, is a member emeritus of the panel here on Legal Tech Week. And so that would be the journalist side. We've got Ambrogi, Wilkins, and Warren. Then for the lawyer side, we're going to but see have... Warren's gone over to the dark side now. Yeah, exactly. He, a fellow sellout. Good for him. Um, it's uh, on the lawyer side, it's going to be uh, Ryan O'Leary of uh, IDC, Kenya Parrish Dixon of Empire Technologies Risk Management Group, and Kelly Twigger, who has um, written for Joe's publication above the law before. She uh, wears two hats. She has her own boutique discovery firm, ESI Attorneys, and she's also the CEO of her software company, eDiscovery Assistant, which I call LexisNexis and Westlaw for eDiscovery. So it's going to be a fun group, and uh, both teams are playing for charity. Um, Zach, Bob, and Stephanie are going to be playing for the Child First Fund. It's the foundation of the Chicago Public Schools. And Kenya, Ryan, and um, Kelly are going to be playing for the Legal Services Corporation. So um, we, the, the winning team will um, have a donation in their names, and Relativity's doing it, but it, it's part of the Discovery State of the Union going on there. And um, so we'll have some fun with that. Um, as how Bob do we get points? I don't even know how we get points. We'll have to figure. Uh, yeah, um, it, 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 we're very generous with the points, Bob. Okay. Okay. Um, Bob mentioned that I've got to step away for a second.
And um, I'm here in sunny Detroit, Michigan, and it actually is sunny. It's a great day in Detroit today at the National Association of Women Judges. I'm um, giving some introductory remarks um, with two judges who are going to be discussing accountable language. And uh, the National Association of Women Judges um, has a resolution this year to ask rulemakers to get rid of the term special master from the federal rules of civil procedure. So it's a big issue uh, going on right now. And so if you don't mind, I'm going to step away for a few minutes, give those opening remarks, and then uh, head back and tell you more about Relativity Fest. All right, great. We'll see you in a little bit, David. Great. Thanks. All right. Well, let's uh, let's turn to some of the weeks. Uh, I never think I've ever heard Counselor Patrice before. That's that's, that's that has a ring to it. I like that. I mean, I guess um, you know, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. He was saying uh, that that was my home court, uh, and Judge Francis was my was a magistrate on a case that lasted like five years of my career. So I'm very familiar with him. It's funny. Oh, he was also the magistrate on the massive litigation. Then when I was a first, second, third year associate too. Yeah. Um, no. He's great. Yeah. Well, apparently I wasn't paying attention to the rules of this panel we're on, Stephanie, because I didn't know anything about us earning points or that we were even a team. I didn't know that. But I think you just, I think you just snuck that in there. It's three. <laughs> I don't. Well, you, I don't know. It, after after hearing that, Bob, I may want to bet on the other teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I think I think they've got the winning side. It's three uh, on three basketball, is what I heard. So, yeah, better better start working on some plays. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty tall. I'm pretty tall. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, well, uh, <laughs> the the rest of the news all seems boring right now, but I. I I mean, I, I thought how I'd start with- How do you segue with, from that, Bob? I can't wait. I know, how do I segue from that? <laughs> um, well, I can say it was a slam dunk for Net Documents this week uh, as they acquired uh, World Docs. Uh, it seems like sort of the biggest story of the week from the legal, in the terms of the legal tech world. Uh, I don't know, you know, if it's the uh, sexiest or most exciting of stories, but uh, Pretty interesting to me, I thought, just because, you know, I mean, World Docs is a, is a pretty widely used uh, document management system. Uh, it's one of the oldest out there. It's been out there for, what, like 30 years or something. Uh, still a lot of, you know, sort of legacy on-premises installs, but it went to the cloud a few years ago. Um, and... Uh, uh, the you know the net documents meanwhile uh, was a company that you know one of the earliest companies to kind of launch in the cloud back when everybody was saying what are you crazy to be launching in the cloud uh, and you know they struggled for a few years to really get traction to really get law firms to feel confident with putting their documents up in the cloud and and Yet now, Net Documents is really becoming uh, a leading sort of powerhouse in the in the world of document management systems in law. So, this acquisition of World Docs seems to be largely calculated to uh, just basically increase their customer base. That seems to be the largest uh, motivation for it. Um, but uh, and and you know and uh, so so not only does it help Net Documents uh, increase its customer base, but it's sort of one more. Uh, you know, nail in the coffin of, of on-premises software of any kind, I think. It's just, a, you know, they're, they're going to be moving uh, slowly, not necessarily overnight or right away, but the goal is to eventually move all of the WorldDocs customers onto the NetDocs platform. So uh, pretty significant on a lot of levels, I thought. 
I thought it was really significant. It's in, especially in the larger context of the consolidation that's been happening across the board since the pandemic started, but really in the last year and a half, I would say there have been some pretty significant um, acquisitions that are really causing that. It's not really a shrinkage of the market, but all this consolidation is uh, resulting in, you know, I wouldn't call them monopolies, but, you know, there's a, in some ways, sort of a reduction of options. But I think at the end of the day, at least right now, it's, there's still enough options and it's making us with these platforms are pretty robust. And, but I, th I thought it was super interesting. Um, uh, I didn't, I didn't see this one coming and I was, I thought it was really interesting. And I think that the document management space is going to be an interesting one to watch because there aren't that many players anymore. So, and they're all trying to platformize too. So, you know, you know when I, when I, uh, when I was writing up my thing and actually I can't remember, um, who I was talking to, but uh, we were walking through the exhibit hall at ClioCon and uh, NetDocs had a booth and whoever I was with said, why are they here? Uh, and I said, well, you know, they integrate with Clio. And, and she was like, yeah, but I mean, you know, like that's not really who they work, uh, who their base is. And, you know, that came rushing back to me as soon as this deal happened. Cause I was like, oh, that's why they're here. Cause they're about to have a bunch of customers in the yeah, but they've always had they have had customers from you know oh of course among smaller firms as well and uh uh, uh in the uh in the uh, briefing we were I, several of us were at the media briefing uh when they when they were telling us about this and i think they said you know they're they're pretty much in firms of five five lawyers and up uh uh across the board but Again, clearly, as you know, this is this is meant to uh, increase their penetration in those sort of small to medium size uh, range of firms. Um, the the other thing is in terms of not being aware, of, I I didn't see this coming either. Although I, I I was starting to think I was the only one who didn't because as, as I've talked to people about it over the course of the week, uh, several people have said, "Oh yeah, they've been working on this for a long time. They've been talking about this for a long time." <laughs> so I don't know. I you know. So many of these deals I never hear about till they actually happen or you hear rumors of them, but I hadn't even heard rumors of this one. Uh, again, Josh Baxter, the CEO of NetDocuments, had said he had first approached World Docs like, you know, in 2019, I think he said uh, about this. And uh, from some of what I've heard since writing about it this week, that it, in fact was sort of corroborated by other people who said that there had been a some earlier pretty intense discussions, but they were put on the back burner because the owners of World Docs just weren't ready to sell at that point. And then in 2019 is when, when I spoke to them before the pandemic that they started to really target uh, smaller law firms. And that was one of their big pushes at, I want to say Legal Week, I can't remember which conference it was, but I, I wonder if, I mean, that's interesting that that's when those conversations started too um, with World Docs. And maybe that was, Part of that strategy of targeting smaller firms yeah yeah i think it'll be interesting to see how how it kind of plays out in terms of their customer service you know there's kind of a backlash i've heard from several places of customers who are saying you know these vendors they 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 acquire other vendors and they merge and they spend all their time worrying about integration with the two systems and all of that. And they're not, they're not giving us the same level of service that they used to. I don't know if that's true necessarily, but the fact that I've heard it for 
you know, several places makes me think if it's not true, there's certainly that kind of perception out there. And, you know, NetDocs, and it, at least it's been my impression that they were very consumer uh, service oriented um, and had a very good system. So I, I hope the integration does not, does not screw that up, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see on that. Um, uh, so let's see what else, what else do we want to talk about? Um, Stephanie, you, you actually had an interesting, uh, story this week. It was actually something, uh, that we we've kind of talked about this topic before, not, not, you know, before you joined the panel, but, uh, you've, you've got a different spin on it or, or Cassandra, I think, I think did Cassandra write the piece uh, this Isha. week, but uh, yeah, I think yeah. the one was Isha. Oh, Isha. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah, I wasn't sure how much y'all had discussed uh, the metaverse and law in the past, but um, I was actually at the Women, Influence, and Power in Law uh, conference earlier in the week too, and just the metaverse came up a lot. Which there's just a lot of you know talk about it being the next big thing in legal, but then what Isha sort of uncovered is that these law firms have these offices and no one's using them, but they're still keeping them, and it's kind of becoming an educational thing. But it's sort of the question of why are they holding on to them? Will the metaverse actually eventually take off and where are we going with this what's how how does it work will it work can it work yeah we've talked about we've talked about it we talked about it more from the perspective of, of firms setting up offices in yeah. the metaverse when they were first doing it and not so much about then what happens with those offices after they set them up so uh it, it is interesting that somebody thought to do a follow-up and say what's going on there uh because it looks like not much is going on yeah, but they're still keeping them. They're not giving them up, the people that have them. So <clears throat> I actually saw a discussion start on LinkedIn about it. And a lot of the takeaway I took from that was, um, yeah, somebody I knew posted Isha's article, was that everyone's waiting for the right tech or the right app to actually make it usable. And who knows when that will be, but they're sort of holding on to it in case and or until that comes along like parking a domain back in the day. Well, we still do that or like a username, you know, trying to grab it across all the different platforms. So, I mean, I think that it's a, the forward thinking firms are smart to be doing that, but I, I don't know about you guys, but I've considered like getting um, the virtual reality goggles or whatever. I don't even know what you call them, but like I've looked into it a bunch of times and I just feel like the tech isn't quite there to want to yeah. invest in it and try it out. I'm also afraid I'll hurt myself. I don't know. I'm going to fall over and have to try to explain to everybody why I have a sprained ankle or hit my head on something. But it's just not quite there yet. So I think that's an interesting aspect of it, too. And it's interesting that they raise that. I've always been under the impression, Nikki, that you, you were really just an avatar on our screen. Yeah. <laughs> you're, already, you're already inhabited the metaverse. You know? <laughs> I was like the, the person who's done nothing but talk about the metaverse since we started this show. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I, I, so I thought something was interesting though in, in the story, um, kind of actually looks like at the tail end of the story where, uh, was it the lawyer, was it one of the, one of the lawyers that she talked to, uh, kind of said uh you know it's not even necessarily about just about getting clients there but a little bit about just educating attorneys and others about the metaverse and i thought that was an interesting point i mean you know one of the things 
that we've talked about in terms of just tech competence in general for for lawyers is you you need to have an understanding of some of these different platforms, whether it's social media uh, or the metaverse, uh, in order to be able to advise clients about it. Um, and so, you know, there's something to be said for just being there, just to just to get it, and just to understand it. I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I was, so, you know, it was, go ahead, Stephanie. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say. I mean, it's sort of an elaborate way to go about educating, but yeah. it's just, I mean, I was also at a round table and it's sort of, it was a very weird round table in that a lot of it started with what even, is, like everyone's kids understood the metaverse and some were even already profiting off of, like they were selling shirts in the metaverse and getting like in Roblox and getting Robux for them. But at the same time, the adults in the room didn't even really knew how, know how it worked but also they were convinced it was the future and we're all going to have to be in it one day. Yeah. You know, at, uh, at Clio, there was a judge who gave a talk. He was from Louisiana and I can't remember his name, but I chatted with Scott, him afterwards. Scott Schlegel. Yeah, that was Scott. And, and he, uh, he was showing me uh, his digital courtroom, which is not exactly the metaverse, but it's not far from it. I mean, it, it, you would lawyers would come in and they'd be ushered to this waiting room, and where they could bump into each other, and then Zoom would pick up and they would see each other and they could chat. And then when their case was called in front of him, they would maneuver over to the bench with these little avatar kind of things. And when they got to the bench, they would all appear together on Zoom. And you know, I thought it was it was really kind of fascinating as I was watching it, and I was thinking, you know, that's. If if there is a judge that's going to start having court in the metaverse, I bet it will be him. <laughs> I just oh, I, I was just going to say, I, I feel like the metaverse reminds me of, in some ways, how AI has functioned, you know, going back a decade or so. There's a bunch of hype about it, uh, mostly overselling what it can do. However, there are killer applications of it that are boring and so people aren't doing them yet but those will eventually take over and then the metaverse will get rolling when it stops yeah. being we're gonna all have avatars because you know i think we all agree that avatars are stupid uh she's not even listening <laughs> uh but hey watch uh, it you're gonna insult yeah, Nikki. <laughs> no, right but it, it, but all of these like mark zuckerberg dancing around and trying to meet people that that's all gonna go away and it's gonna become something very simple like you know, shopping with a virtual shelf so it's easier to browse than it is currently. You know, it's going to be something like that, very mundane, but very central to our lives long term. Well, you guys, I think several of us went to that uh, that virtual conference where we had avatars and uh, it, of all the virtual conferences Mary I went Max, to. That, uh, conference. Yeah, yeah, the Mary Matt. Yeah, that was that was the most realistic. And that was it was semi-metaverse, I think. I mean, we weren't wearing goggles and we were, you know, on flat screen, so it wasn't 3D. But again, it's it's like a gradual move. And uh, so, yeah, I think Joe's right. I think it'll be gradually and then all of a sudden it'll be everywhere. I think well, that yeah, that... the motorboat was the best part of that one. <laughs> yeah, right. That was motorboat. so much fun. So people slide <laughs> off the back into the water when they stand up. <laughs> Um, or when people David, we're talking about the metaverse and lawyers. Oh, up great. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the what about e concept of uh, metaverse and virtual realities, you know, all the sci-fi that I watch and read about that kind of segues a little bit into what I was going to talk about, because I was actually going to bring some of that stuff up. 
You don't have to segue into mine now. I can. I can. Wait a minute. It's my mind. job to do the segue. <laughs> <in here. laughs> I don't have to talk about it now, but it, it is. First, a... they changed your title, and now she's taking over the segueing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to talk about it now. I'm no, I... no, no. Okay. <laughs> well, so well, now, um, now we have to. <laughs> and when you first see what I'm the article that I picked, you're going to, it's not going to necessarily make sense, but it was definitely some part of what I'd planned to talk about. Um, and when I covered it, uh, I spoke about it, but um, I can't get it posted in there. I always mess up, but it, it's essentially an article that talks about yeah. how um, uh, there's um, Uber plans to advertise at every single stage of your ride using your own data. Um, so Basically, and apparently Lyft is doing the same thing. They've both hired like large advertising units within their companies, and they're going to start trying to monetize even further by just constantly advertising to you in the app from the start to the finish and possibly even, you know, from the minute you decide to hail a ride, you know, and then you're waiting and you're getting all your notifications. So you're looking at your phone every time you get them, there's going to be ads. And then also they may start doing like what you see in taxis in uh, New York City, putting, you know, um, uh, tablets in the and the taxis to continue to advertise to you. And the advertising is going to be partly based on where you're going. You're going to a bar, fine, they'll tell you all about the latest drinks. But, and so to me, that's just part of this slippery slope that we're heading down. That's like a Black Mirror episode. I mean, they're kind of, this is them trying to like make Black Mirror reality. You know, you see some of these virtual reality or implanted chip for contacts in people's eyes and um, Black Mirror, where everywhere they go, they see advertisements in front of them specifically for their unique needs that pop up just sort of virtually in their real reality or if they're in virtual reality just everything's an advertisement everywhere and it feels like we're heading down this like slippery slope both in just terms of advertising but even in terms of like um how everything's becoming software based so vehicles you know um bmw had announced that uh in some countries where it's permissible they're going to start there's all these software features they can turn on and off, like heated seats. You know, they're going to start charging for these additional features that are already included right now. But our whole lives are becoming compartmentalized, controlled by software, controlled by um, the user, the data that they gather about you. And um, which is one way or another, everything's getting piecemealed and compartmentalized. Compartmentalized and trying to make as much money off of us in every single possible way they can using all this, uh, these capabilities that were not there before the virtual reality computers, you know, uh, geolocation <laughs> tracking. So it's a little alarming. And this was to me an example of that. Yeah, I saw, I read the article that you had sent around before we started this and it's, hey, sounds horrifying to me, but I completely agree with you. And I just saw someone in the comments say that it reminds them of the movie Wally with the people. Uh, and that is exactly in the round table I was in about the metaverse. That's exactly what people said too. Everyone is just sort of it's it is black mirror it's wally it's just uh, this idea of i'm just picturing myself in stuck in traffic on an hour-long uber ride to the airport with ads constantly bombarding me and that just sounds terrible i've always felt like that those dystopian views of there's a million and one ads plastered everywhere uh don't do enough credit to advertisers i feel like advertisers are smart enough not to bombard you constantly like it won't be a constant bombardment, which may well be more evil, don't get me wrong, but it's not going to be that you're like plastered with stuff. It's going to be subtle and tailored, and they're going to find ways to make it not be obtrusive, because that's 
that's the whole advertising art is that they yeah, really good at that. Joe, they've got to move from the art to the science, though, because yeah. there's a conference all of us have attended. It is put on by the former employer of Bob and me and the current employer of Stephanie. <laughs> Those ads in the elevators at the Hilton <laughs> at well, Legal right. Week. You are trapped there. You do That's not want fair. to be there. You're running late for a meeting. And then that unfortunate vendor who's paid a lot of money to be on those elevator ads. My, oh, my. That's well, fair. Also, uh, this is kind of what I was going to say about the Uber thing, too. I mean, just like if it's Uber, say Budweiser is advertising on Uber. Budweiser is not they're not trying to be strategic about how often you see their ad. Uber is pu putting it in your face. That elevator but, is putting it in your face, not the company that paid for the ad. Just to be a little contrary on this, I mean, aren't we just talking about the fact that it's going to be in their app and you don't have to sit there and stare at your app for the whole car ride? I mean, you could look out the window or check your email or something. I mean, New York isn't that where the New ads York are going to be? Cool. <laughs> well, but I'm like checking it. Where is this person? Do you know how far away are they from where I am now? Do I have to be ready to jump in? Do I have to be ready to look for the license plate? Are they going where they say they're going or are they going to drive off somewhere and, you know, kill me and I'll never be seen again? Like maybe that you guys are going out on the ride. <laughs> that might be a woman thing, Nikki. I don't know if they all do that. Yeah, well, I think women the, do that. <laughs> is, is maybe the bigger concern of what they're doing with all this data, which maybe they're already collecting anyway. But so, okay, so Nikki's on her way to a bar. And now we've got that in our database about Nikki. And uh, now she's heading off to uh, who knows where. And now we've got that in our database about Nikki. And uh, okay, I think I'm a little offended by that, Bob. <laughs> who knows where well, she's going now? No, no, no. <laughs> Your database is uh, much, much better than some other people's, I'm sure. Um, but I mean, you know, in a way, if, if I mean, I guess I'll say, I mean, they're probably tracking all that already anyway. Uh, but if they are then tracking it and somehow making it available to advertisers or, or somehow using that to target advertising, it just starts to seem that more intrusive and and Again, where you know, where does that data eventually end up? Is that data getting sold? How is it getting sold? I mean, those are the those are some of the concerns. Uh, and and is the subject to an e-discovery request at some point? Uh, we can talk about that at Relativity Fest. Um, all right. Well, uh, so from uh, so from uh, at one extreme, lawyers going into the into the metaverse uh, and uh, and getting uh, hijacked uh, in their Uber rides to the other extreme of lawyers having to get hijacked back into the office, I guess. Joe, you, you, you've got a story this week on uh, on that, uh, that reoccurring topic. Yeah, so um, office time. Uh, everyone had coming out of the pandemic, there was, uh, you know, there was, we, we had an instance where everyone thought there would be problems with business and we thought recessions and economic collapse and instead law, per, law firms were the most profitable they've ever been, largely because of the work of people on this panel and uh, in the audience, legal tech wins, yay. Uh, but we set up a system where people were able to seamlessly do their jobs from anywhere. Uh, what happened on the back end of that is the associates who on whose backs uh, all of that profit happened uh, did not wanna go back to the office. And some of the firms, the smart ones anyway, looked and well, more maybe not just the smart ones, the smart ones who didn't have much time left on their leases uh also said hey we can uh we can cut it cut some floor space here uh 
and they've started pitching hybrid work models. Uh, this now has become so prolific that at least among big law, you're hard pressed to find anybody who expects people to be back in the office five days a week, uh, more uh, three days, four days, these models are all being talked about. Uh, so that's that's the lay of the land. Uh, I'm one of those people who thinks that people do need to be in the office at least occasionally, mostly because I think that there's no way I would have learned anything as a lawyer if it weren't for the what I call soft learning of screwing up in front of a three uh, of a third year who goes, wait a minute, why are you doing that? Uh, something that can never be really controlled. That said, you don't have to be there five days anyway. This is all prelude to my article this week, which is that Ropes and Gray, you know, there are some other firms that are doing this too, Scadden and whatever. So I don't want to just poke, uh, pick on Ropes and Gray, but Ropes and Gray is getting, there's a lot of unhappy people there who are very eager to write above the law uh, because Ropes and Gray has taken the stance that we have a three day in the office work week. And that means you must be here Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which struck me as missing all the point uh it it assumes that what people wanted was four-day weekends which isn't really what i from my conversations what anybody who wants a hybrid model cares about what they care about is the flexibility of oh you know something came up i can't make it in wednesday don't worry i'll come in thursday that's the kind of world that they want uh so this mandatory tuesday wednesday thursday is not helping anybody on top of that i have since heard from more people who say that ropes and gray is leaning into it's tuesday wednesday thursday but you also are encouraged to show up to office hours those are only held mondays and fridays uh in like this <laughs> weird teasing of getting everyone back five days uh which seems like it misses the point as far as the associates and by extension recruiting because it blows past all the flexibility well as though they don't understand it they just want to say they have a three-day week for recruiting purposes and then fail to get all the advantage, but it also hurts them. I mean, maybe they're locked into a bunch of leases, but long term, the advantage is going to be hoteling uh, and not having your office be a ghost town Monday and Friday and totally full Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's about being 75% full every day is really where you want to be. Uh, so I just thought it was a weird, poor strategy, but one that I fear we're going to see a lot more of. And those of us who are in this space, uh, you know, I, I know that, um, Bob and I at least went to a, a, a demo a while back about a company that's very much about helping offices manage the, you're going to distribute your workforce across the floor multiple different days. How do you do that? How do you hotel effectively? Uh, and I, yeah, Maptician. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the future, but, yeah. but it, it wasn't part let of the implication here. Real quick. Let me, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Let me jump in quickly because I'd actually done a piece on the, a couple of surveys, one that Clio did and one the ABA did, um, and and they came up at least in this area with remarkable similar statistics. I mean, the, the people want to work remotely, a and b. People, almost everybody that works remotely says, "I get just as much done working remotely as I do in the office." Right. And so now you've got all these people who who want to work from home want to work remotely, maybe from home or Starbucks or wherever, think they can do just to, just as well there. And then along comes the employers who say, we don't care what you think, get your butt back down to the office. Uh, and the worry that a lot of these people have is that the legal market will, will, there'll be a downturn and there won't be as much demand for legal services. 
and the, the law firms, senior management will then be able to, to better demand that they come back to the office. And the, the ABA survey that shows that this is a particularly a concern with, with women and people of color because they, they're afraid if they don't, whatever the policy is, if they don't go back to the office, they're going to be deemed not committed. And again, you know, horrible for, for somebody that wants to be a partner if you're not forbidden, for, not committed, God forbid. And the other piece of it is, you know, as you put it, Joe, you know, well, the argument is be in the office so you can get trained. And yes, there's some soft training goes on, but too many law firms, that's all there is, is the soft training. So your soft training probably would come from a partner that was the same color as you are and had generally the same background and you know women and people of color they don't get that same exposure and so they don't they don't get as trained as you might get and now they're they're not only non not committed but they're also not good lawyers so what we you know we really want to improve our diversity numbers but darn we can't figure out how to do it <laughs> so I think all these things are playing into this new, new, new normal that we have. And I, f I fear if firms get too demanding on coming back to the office, there could be a mass exodus of, of people who just say, I'm tired of this. I'm, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And I, I'll just throw one quick thing in, which is that that's a great point about uh, the ways in which different biases uh, interact in, in, on training, but it's also in my, I also think that as bad as being in the office is for that, it's demonstrably better than the hybrid situation because in hybrid, you actually have to like, you have to take affirmative steps to hit a button to talk to the person and engage in that learning. Right. I, I actually got, I, I mean, I do remember like somebody walking by me screwing something up and going like, who wasn't even in my chain of command, basically just walked by and was right. like, why are you doing what you're doing right now? And that sort of thing just, that can happen in an office, but when you're, I feel like hybrid creates a lot of team-based silos, at least from my conversations with people. And when you're in those silos, it kind of reifies all of the bias problems that you're talking about because you're just in that group. Yeah, I, I think what I think what has to happen is is you know the, most law firms have no formal training per se, right? You come in and you're just kind of thrown in and you go to work. I think if, if you want people to be trained in the future, you're going to have to say, we're going to have a formal training program. Everybody gets the same base, basic training program. And it's going to be every Tuesday at three o'clock, you need to be in the office to, to go through it. It's going to be that kind of thing. Because I think what, I don't know that a lot of the younger lawyers are saying, we don't ever want to go to the office. I think what they're saying is, we don't want to go to the office to do the same things that we do at home, right? Be on Zoom so, calls, right? <laughs> another thing with, um, when it comes to women, people of color, and also people with disabilities, that I don't think is talked about enough, but it has been raised when talking about remote work. And that's that for those people, they encounter microaggressions or when it comes to people um, with disabilities, I also encounter um, hurdles to actually functioning in an office setting that they don't encounter when they're home. So for a lot of people, the pandemic and remote work 
became those silos that were created were actually comfortable cushions for them because it um, their interactions oftentimes were not as pleasant as the interactions of white men with other white men, <laughs> which often, you know, there isn't as much friction or there aren't as many microaggressions. So I think there's something to be said about that too. That's another reason some parts of the population don't want to return to the office at all or as frequently. I was going to say you know, something very similar that I had seen, you know, articles and research about the fact that especially people of color, their remote work sort of anonymized it. So it wasn't, it's a, I mean, people just looked more at the quality of the work and less at who was necessarily doing it or any of the, it sort of leveled the playing field for some people. On Stephanie's leveling the playing field point, it was interesting because we were, um, I was a remote employee. Luckily, it's going on eight years ago when I went to work for Relativity. They said I could stay in Boston. So I was the remote person. I was one of Relativity's first remote employees. Now, after the pandemic, almost the entire company is gone remote. So on that anonymization thing, you know, they were all there in the conference room in Chicago and there's Horrigan over on the side on the jumbotron and you miss the nuances, you miss the sidebars, you miss a whole lot. So from an inclusion standpoint for the people who are already remote, this is heavenly inclusion. I just want another point on all this before we leave it, because I thought this really caught my eye with the ABA survey. They ask uh, women, people of color and people with disabilities and maybe uh, maybe LGBT people, uh, how many, what percentage of them had 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 uh, insulting and suffered through insulting and demeaning comments when they went to the office? And in each case, it was over twenty to twenty five percent of them had, which sort of makes me oh, okay. So you want me to come back to the office so you can like insult me? Okay, good. <laughs> what fun! <laughs> Hey, I was the associate. I was the associate in a room full of men that had to clean up and get coffee. No joke, mid-level yeah. associate, and you don't have to do that hot when you're on Zoom. It's <laughs> crazy. Maybe, maybe I was reading between the lines a little bit of your story, Joe. But I also thought that you were, kind, and maybe you said this, but kind of making the point of like whatever happened to just respecting the professional independence of of, of yeah. professionals. I mean. Yeah. If I need to be out of the office for the day, you know, in pre 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 hybrid working days, if you need to be out of the office for a day, you wouldn't ask permission. You wouldn't. You would just do it. I mean, oh, yeah. You manage your time. You manage your cases. You manage your clients, and you don't have to be. You know, I don't know. You shouldn't have to be answerable to somebody for where you are physically. By the way, there's yeah, another was... there's another between the lines in there that I'm glad you reminded me of, because what you would do is you wouldn't ask permission, but you know what you would do? You would tell your secretary who was there to tell everybody who might need you, hey, he's out. Now, law firms have gutted the administrative assistant pool, like early retirements right and left, part, three partners are sharing with 10 associates, one secretary sort of situation. It's just not what it was. When I had, you know, when I was sharing with two other associates, yeah, if I was out, I would call, say, hey, I'm gonna be out, here's why, here's how people can reach me. And that was enough. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think part of it is it just, and I, I saw a story this week, I, I think it was in somebody at law.com was, was talking about that part of it is, you know, that, the older lawyers have this attitude that, well, I went through it, so you should go through it too. I was in the office every day, so you should 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 be in the office every day. And it just, uh, 
you know, and, and, and the other piece is you should be in the office so I can make sure you're working. And in, at least in particularly in large firms, what you're really saying to, the, to that person is, okay, so you went through undergraduate school, you excelled, you made really good grades, you 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 took uh, the LSAT, you scored really well, then you went to law school and you worked really hard in your top of your class, but yet I'm concerned that when you actually get out and get a job and are competing to be a partner in a law firm and make millions of dollars, that you're really not going to work very much. And I, I better watch you. Right. <laughs> it's a hundred percent. It's the whole idea of FaceTime and why back in pre-pandemic law firms were so opposed to any remote work as it was. They were just, they were checking the box. They were checking on you. I mean, even it is right. absolutely not giving you any sort of professional trust. And while I agree that there's value to being in the office, sometimes this mandated certain days a week schedule goes completely back to that lack of trust, just pure FaceTime requirement in my mind. Well, and as I can I've remember, often, well, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, I'm sorry. I've talked enough. Well, <laughs> mine's really short. As I've oft repeated, part of that FaceTime requirement is, is, um, uh, it's, it's comes from the egos of the partners who want to have somebody there to watch over to make themselves feel important or want to belittle somebody to make themselves feel important or feel better. So that's often part of what contributes to that too, I think. When I was a young lawyer, I can remember there used to be this, this kind of halfway humorous tongue-in-cheek guide about you know how to be a good associate. And one of the things it said was, like, if you're going to leave before like six or seven o'clock, make sure you have a file open on your desk, a pen open with the tip off of it. And also make sure you have a full cup of coffee sitting there because <laughs> like nobody would ever leave a full cup of coffee. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I will say on, on that point about the partners want to boss people around, the partnership survey uh, that came out this week, one aspect of it that I thought was very interesting was the junior partners are very interested in hybrid work. So it might be a generational thing where the senior partners want people around to boss around and the junior partners don't care as long as they make enough money. <laughs> we mentioned the legal trend survey, uh, Steve, but it didn't, wasn't the legal trend survey, it was only like half of lawyers uh, don't want to go back into the office. I mean, it was like, it was something like 49% don't want to go back in the office, but 51% actually do want to go back in the office. I thought that was a really surprising finding if, if I'm remembering the right survey off the top of my head. But uh, I think you're muted, but I'll throw in right beforehand that uh, a survey of in, incoming, yeah, you are incoming, uh, no, Steve was, uh, incoming uh, first years also disproportionately want to go to the office because they're like, we have no idea what we're doing. So like <laughs> right. they are very much wanting to come back. Yeah, I think if you read down through the survey about it, it's it was a, a question, uh, you know, how do you want to how often do you think you ought to be in the office and how much do you want to work remotely? And so I think, you know, 44 percent might have been saying we want to work, be in the office all the time or we don't want to be in the office at all. And but then when you start breaking it down one, two, three days, uh, it, the numbers start fluctuating a little bit. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, well, we. Uh, we, we can uh, jump back to Relativity Fest in a second, get a little more from David about that, or you can, David, or you can talk about the uh, judges panel you were just talking about. But I, I did want to also just mention a, a, one other big story this week I thought was kind of notable was the Hello Divorce uh, 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 investment. Uh, just a really interesting company raised another, what was it, three, three million or so in, in uh, further seed capital. But uh, with, with, the, with the goal of this raise being 
to kind of expand out the spectrum of services they're offering uh, in the divorce uh, ecosphere, so to speak, so that recognizing that, uh, you know, a divorce doesn't end with the divorce decree, that there are all sorts of uh, financial and, and uh, 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 real estate related and, and other kinds of implications that happen as a result of a divorce. And so they're going to be trying to expand now out into um, providing a, a broader range of services to support people who go through a divorce, not just in the sort of the strict legal part of it, but the other aspects of it, which I, you know, I think it's a, it's a recognition that you're seeing in other sort of consumer facing legal tech companies that, that the, the implications of a legal problem often go well beyond just the legal part of it that we tend to think about as lawyers and that there are uh, social and psychological and, and, and uh, financial and, and other aspects to all of these things. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, so, uh, David, got a few minutes left. Do you want to, uh, sure. Yeah. Um, the floor is yours. You could tell us a little more about Rel relativity fest, or if you want to talk about this, uh, issue you were just talking about with the, the, uh, the judges panel it also sounds interesting. Yeah. I mean, they're in there discussing it right now. Judge Gunderson and Judge White, who also serves as the president of the National Association of Women Judges, are talking about accountable language. And, you know, we talked before I had to step out about the special master renaming. Um, they're going to go into the little nuances of legal opinions as well. And, you know, one of the things I said in my opening remarks was, I can remember there was a sea change between undergrad and grad school on one side and law school on the other. And that is when I was an undergrad in grad school, the pronoun gender always deferred to the masculine. And you'll recall in school, Ms. Mulberry was there saying, that's the rule. The number in the subject has to agree with the predicate. So if you don't know, you get a default to the masculine. But when I, I mean, got to law school, go ahead, I Joe. Mean, I mean, I was going to say Ms. is already pretty progressive. Like you were already there. I, yeah, I, there you go. <laughs> but um, no, in law school, all the textbooks defaulted to the feminine. It was she everywhere. And, and I, I thought that was really interesting. But segueing from from those judges to the judges we'll be seeing next week. Um, before the break, I already told you about the State of the Union. We're looking forward to having Bob and Stephanie on that one. And Joe will be there as well. Joe is going to be our panelist from the audience. And I am sure the acerbic wit of Counselor Patrice will uh, make it even more fun. Uh, but the judicial panel, um, we're going to do something new. I shouldn't probably mention this on Legal Tech Week, but um, we are probably going to have less e-discovery on the judicial panel than we've ever had. Um, we started this nine years ago, and I've been fortunate enough to be the moderator for all nine years, and it's usually pretty discovery heavy. This one, we have a theme of confidentiality v. transparency in the law. Um, we're not going to debate the merits of Dobbs, but we are going to talk about the leaked draft opinion, and we're going to get perspectives from state and federal courts. Um, our lineup is um, Senior U.S. District Judge Nora Barry Fisher from the Western District of Pennsylvania, um, the Honorable William Mathewman, uh, Matthewman, I should say, uh, magistrate judge from the Southern District of Florida, uh, the Honorable Tanya R. Kennedy, who is in New York as an appellate jurist in the first division, uh, appellate division, first department, I should say. And we've also got um, Master Victoria McLeod coming from the United Kingdom. And she'll give us the but European- But will she still be called Master? That's the question. 
Well, it's very interesting that you mentioned that because she <laughs> has requested to be called judge. And, uh -huh. and this is a tough one for me because I want to make sure it's on the slides blasted on the jumbotron because I don't want somebody in the audience from the UK thinking, well, those bloody Americans, they don't know anything about UK law. They're calling them judges. But um, I'm going to honor the judge's request. So she will be Judge McLeod and then we'll have um, US District Judge Xavier Rodriguez. So we'll talk about Dobbs. We'll um, talk about uh, the attorney-client privilege um, we're going to talk about the overuse or underuse. I think most people think it's overuse of protective orders. We will get into e-discovery for a bit because they're sealing everything. And so Judge Matthewman specifically is going to um, jump in first on what's going on with all these protective orders. And, you know, then there's the on the other side, there's the data privacy considerations. So we're looking forward to another great judicial panel. Um, we'll have the inter international panel. We're going to have six nations on it this year. There'll be South Africa. Africa, there will be Australia, Germany, Ireland, and the UK on that one. Um, we're going to, in our closing, the, the opening keynote is something, it, it's the, the product talk topics that uh, a lot of time that you discuss on Legal Tech Week. So, well, we'll be talking about the latest and greatest in relativity. The closing keynote, though, on Friday is going to be um, Timnit Gebru, and you may have heard of her. She was the Google engineer who um, either resigned or she argues she was terminated after um, discussing and publishing on um, gender bias and AI. So this dovetails into the conversation that we were having earlier on the discrimination that we see in all over society, and the law is certainly no exception. So she's going to talk about uh, ethical AI. She's going to sit down with our CEO, Mike Gamson, and she's going to talk about her experience and what we need to do to take the biases out of artificial intelligence. So um, that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I could go on and on. There are tons and tons of sessions. And you can look them up at relativityfest.com. We'd love to have you in Chicago. Uh, but if you uh, need or want to stay home, um, tune in remotely. We're looking forward to it. See, it's a little like Uber. We get now we have advertising on the, right. On the program. There you go. <laughs> Whoops! See the sellout <laughs> no. guy, the former journalist, is putting those corporate plugs in there. Uh, if only relativity so, had paid me for this. No, no, no. We are not. Yeah. We are not. Uh, this is not an ad-supported uh, program yet. Although, if you're out there and you want to support us, we'll take your money. Um, but uh, I, yeah. I think the, uh, the the Google engineer. I was at a uh, South by Southwest. Uh, conference a few years ago and there was a, a panel it was two men and a woman and one of the men was walter isaacson you know the famous author and so they they talked and they talked and they talked and blah 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 blah. And at the end of it a woman got up and there was questions from the audience and she got up, this woman got up and went to the microphone and she said mr isaacson and mr smith do you guys realize that you have interrupted ms jones far many more times than she ever interrupted you. And somebody said, well, who is that? And she was employed by Google. So I think it may be the same, the same person. It was this kind of gasp in the audience that, oh yeah, she's right. <laughs> Hey, um, Joe, thank you for um, putting Judge Matthew, your article from Relativity Fest about Judge Matthewman on there. And and by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't mention opening up on Wednesday of Relativity Fest, Beer and Basics. My colleague Janice Holman and I came up with this program years ago and I'm like, what's, what's introductory level stuff at Relativity Fest? And Janice is like, there isn't. I'm like, why? And the theory is, you know, if you are at these conferences, you're probably a power user. I'm like, 
there's a lot of stuff that people are afraid to ask because they don't want to look like they don't know what's going on. And that's what got behind Beer and Basics. It's free beer and wine, as the name suggests. Um, I'm waiting to see if the CLE authorities give us any pushback on that. But it's going to be a fun program. Professor Bill Hamilton from the University of Florida, Go Gators, will be there. And he's going to have his boxes. You know, if, if you talk about technology-assisted review and AI, a lot we're lawyers not statisticians and so with a lot of the stuff it just is like trying to look through soup well bill takes boxes to explain precision and recall and the richness of the data and so it is a, a really really fun thing so hope you'll not only for the free drinks but um stop by wednesday to see that and is the dobbs panel going to reveal who it was who leaked the dobbs decision are we going to find that out you know, in the so stuff that we submitted for CLE, I included one of David Latt's articles where he was playing sleuth trying to figure out who it was. Um, yeah. You guys so, had yeah. a post on that today, right, Joe? <clears throat> yeah, we, we did. Uh, well, oh. CNN uh, posted today with a, huh, whatever happened to that investigation? And I was like, yeah, what did happen to that? Uh, because, I mean, obviously those of us who understand Occam's razor uh, understand that Ginny did it, so they don't want to say that. But, uh, but yeah, so we, we did write a little thing about that. But yeah, um, it's, right. it's a thing. All right, yeah, I guess we're coming to the end. I won't wax about Dobbs. Oh, you can wax about Dobbs. I don't care. If it's, you may be alone because most of us are leaving in a few minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, well, I guess, Nikki, you're the only one we're not going to see next week then. You're going to have to come to Relativity Fest. I was invited, I think, virtually. Um, and I almost reached out to attend in person when I looked over my schedule, but then I didn't. Oh, but darn. Like we, we would, we, that, I think that invitation was for either, I think that, it might have I, been. Think, I can't remember. Yeah, I think they knew that you couldn't come in person, but if your schedule changes, please come. Well, you know, I, 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 I didn't mean, I had no doubt probably if I reached out, I could have gone, but I, it's, I hear a lot of great things about it and it sounds like a really fun conference. And I was lamenting mm -hmm. that because of legal week getting moved, I wasn't going to see the rest of you for a while after the uh, legal awards night. And so we're going to have a long sort of bunch of months, you guys. What are we going to do? No, it's going to be a dry spell. Well, yeah. you can get one of those audience panelist things that Joe has. I've never heard of that before, but that, that sounds like a good gig. <laughs> I, I have the I have the answer, Nikki. Metaverse. Yeah. Actually, and it sounded like a great conference. But the, co the comments said the same thing. And yes, and uh, well, and we will also do the show. And that brings us to how this show can be our uh, replacement. For yeah. like four months, though. That's a long time. Okay. What am I going to do okay. without you guys? Like hanging out in person now that we can do that. Mm. We'll have to come up to your lake house, watch the leaves turn. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I'm not sure we'll do this next week. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm traveling Friday. I don't know about other people uh, maybe traveling Maybe Friday, too. too. I, uh, I'm running. I am I am literally running a debate tournament. So I you're running a debate tournament. So Go probably Army. next Friday Thank will be you. a week off for, for uh, Legal Tech Week, but we can all be back the week after, at which point we can report on what we heard and saw at Relativity Fest and talk about whatever else happens between now and then in the world of Legal Tech. And Bob and team, thank you for letting me crash the party. It's been fun. Yeah, it's good to have you, David. Uh, and we'll ha do it again sometime. So. Great. All right. Well, that does it for this week. Thanks to uh, all of the panelists. Thanks to everybody in the audience for uh, attending. Everybody stay well. Have a good weekend. Yeah. Bye.